All right, here we are at uh, Spring One Platform, the most awesome name conference in the world. Very, very uh, two-name conference there. Well, three, if you don't really account for the lack of spaces. What We have uh, Matt Curry here. How's it going? And then Kenny. Hey. As always. Fresh in from uh, the Mediterranean. Yes. So how are the scooters there? You told me it's a bad idea to rent a scooter, but give, give, give me a review. Well, it's only a bad idea to rent a scooter if you don't know how to drive a scooter. Uh-huh. And that doesn't really work out well. So I got chased down by the guy who rented me the scooter after he realized that I wasn't very good at driving scooters. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems uh, like it maybe isn't going to go well. No. <laughs> you can visually see that you were not very good at, at riding the scooter. That's hilarious. Right. It was beyond the level of just like comprehension of, of what was going on. Right? But people yeah. made it look so easy. I thought that I could do it. So what's hard about it? Um... Staying up. <laughs> <laughs> What's hard about it? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess you do have to balance it, and, and then that's the one where there's like shifting on the handle or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> You're just wobbling around. So I, I noticed you haven't picked up the uh, like you know you didn't bring any affectations back. Like you haven't said chow or anything. To anyone? Have you found yourself doing that? No, no. Okay. Yeah. I don't know much Italian okay, or good. French. You have this problem that my wife and I always have where when you travel abroad, and this is kind of regional since we're down in Texas, but we our, our instinct is to just start speaking Spanish to people, like whatever country we're in. Yeah. It's sort of, it must be like our, if it's not English, it's Spanish. That we <laughs> <laughs> and so we have it to makes catch sense. ourselves. How long have you lived in Texas for? Oh, all my life. Well, that explains it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just ingrained. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so uh, you gave a talk yesterday. Yes. Which, which, which I had a very good excuse for not going to. Yes. <laughs> I had a better excuse. <laughs> yeah, you weren't yeah, even we, here yet, Kenny right? and I got booked on the same slot, so it was uh, like I had to miss his talk, he had to miss my talk. But that, yeah. is, that is much better. So I, I think I saw like an early like overview of your talk or something like that. But, but anyways, but I'm sure it evolved. Like what, what, what did you end up talking about? Yeah, so I mean, what was interesting is I wrote the executive summary a while ago, and then I had to kind of figure out what I was talking about. Uh-huh. So the, I titled the talk, um, let's see, Taking DevOps to 11 with uh, Unicorns and Rainbows and Sprinkling a Little Bit of Cloud on it. I think it was, it was wasn't, wasn't CICD it was a in very, the title or something? It was a very long talk. Or not. No, or a very long title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, what I ended up doing, or how I ended up structuring it, is I basically... Uh, took everyone back to kind of first principles and the history of like the emergence of DevOps as a term mm. uh, and what problems we were trying to solve as a community at, at the time and how that community of practice kind of came together Yeah, and then use that as the framing for like okay if this is the foundation then what are all the things that are important to do um, in order to kind of get the most out of a DevOps practice or a DevOps transformation. Right, right. So, so what was the framing you started with? I, I think, I think you know, everyone has at least multiple, one or more versions of like how DevOps came about. So it's always fun to hear a. I'm sure you have a good, rational, helpful one. Yeah. So I took the Wikipedia uh, definition, oh, which start. is the I think one of the original definitions from 2008, and uh-huh. I kind of got the idea from I can't remember who, but I saw this rant on Twitter about what DevOps is and isn't, and that was like referenced in there. So I was like, "Hey, this seems like a good uh-huh. uh, spot to anchor the talk," and it was really about um, that you know DevOps is a set of practices uh, in order to be able to uh, more uh, with more speed deploy changes to production. 
right, right. with quality. So that was kind yeah. of the, I think those are the, the major parts. I totally botched like the official reading of that yeah. definition. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I ever say nowadays. Like, there's practices, yeah. uh, it's about going faster, it's generally about making changes in, in production or to production, uh, and we want to do that with quality. Yeah. And then it kind of just like broke down each of those four um, and highlighted a lot of the underpinnings behind each of them. Um, I also spent some time on uh, culture mm-hmm. and like the principles of culture because I was reading the latest uh, State of DevOps report, uh, which is a really good piece of validation like because it kind of highlights how my experience is the same or different than other folks yeah, experience yeah, yeah, yeah. with DevOps yeah. and there's a lot of like similar themes and I think like one thing that's highlighted in there is how critical the leadership buy-in aspects are yeah. and that a lot of teams are trying to like grassroots DevOps without leadership support and they're struggling and I think it's be- excuse me I think it's because like the cultural aspects of what comes out of those practices is in some cases like diametrically uh, or, you know it's opposed to the what's in the organization like, like how what are some examples of that uh, like high levels of trust so like right. DevOps is about enabling high levels of trust in teams well if your organization is like not that then it's going to be hard um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so having what, autonomous teams is a thing. So what are, what are the reasons why people don't trust each other? Isn't that a part of identifying what DevOps means for a company? So I think that um, the trust isn't as much a personal thing as it is, like, do I trust the teams to go do them themselves? And I, and I kind of hit on... Um, this in the talk, which is, I talked about the importance of having like sensible defaults for things and the importance of taking actions that every developer is doing and like moving that into the platform so that you get like some kind of centralized enforcement of certain aspects through automation. Because mm. you don't want to just like roll the, and I, and I hit on this a little bit, like with cloud breaches being one a week and largely related to misconfiguration, you don't really want to just, like, roll the dice on that and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have all these teams, we put smart people in them, so it's probably fine. Like, your yeah. CIO is, that's going to keep him or her up at night. Um, do, you, do you think that visibility increases trust in the organization? So if you can actually monitor the behavior of what the developers are doing through the platform, does that help you decide... I guess, what to do to get people to get on the same page and trust each other? I think the trust is about, uh, largely about education and and making sure that things are uh, discussed openly and kind of known, because really it's just like, I have concerns that it's not necessarily lack of trust. Usually in many cases it's like, I have concerns that nobody has addressed, and so I have a lack of trust or like some reservations about this thing that we're going to go do. Yeah. Like and how, do we, how do we make sure we know? And it seems like all, uh, and another part might be, I mean, tell me if this is wrong, but that is a weird way of putting it, but there is still some mistrust in the way you're doing things, but you've automated making sure that the stuff works, right? Like, like there's different ways of automating stuff and enforcing it that maybe previously didn't exist. Like if you're manually putting together a release, right? Yeah. Of course, you're going to have a lot less trust than if you like 
trust the thing that enforces the way things are done and automated. So there is still the effect of mistrusting. Right. <laughs> you just don't have to worry about it as, as much as you I used think, to. I think the way that I kind of look at that is you're, you're taking away responsibilities from the individual teams mm. um, through layers of abstraction. And because of that, like you can trust them more for the things that they have responsibility for. Because yeah, they yeah, have responsibility yeah. for like less stuff. Yeah. Um, so so like, like do, you, do you think that in, I mean, uh, having looked at this and everything else, like, do you think that there's a good answer for like scaling up DevOps? Like, is there any material on that or experiences or like, you know, every now and then there'll be like the Capital One person has like 30 minute talk, but I don't know if they really ever cover like how you spread that to the entire organization or something yeah. like that. So I think um, one of the talks I referenced in my own talk is the John Allspot talk um, and Paul Hammond, which was from oh, Velocity yeah, yeah. in 09, like the 10, 10 plus deploys a day. They didn't even call it DevOps at the time. They were like, pre, you know, collaboration between dev and, devs and ops. Uh, and something that they hit on, there's a couple of, I think, really key things that they hit on there. One is there should be one button to produce a deployable artifact. There should be a second button to actually deploy said artifact. And like, that should be the maximum level of effort. And then the second piece, um, that they really hit on is how important it is to have consistency in the infrastructure so that developers aren't spending like huge amounts of time trying to figure out why right, stuff right. doesn't work. Yeah. And so like I view it as um, kind of that second part where you know especially with the structured platforms they provide a huge opportunity uh, to kind of do this like standardization where it's like everything looks very much the yeah. same. Um I can jump from team to team and like make sensible assumptions about how things work because they're very consistent in nature. Yeah, um, my deploys are very consistent in nature, so I think you know that's super critical for, in terms of scaling. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I always have this like self-imposed. What would you call it? Uh, like a self-imposed uh, handicapping of, of this yeah. idea of like what you really and I've, I've tried to get over this and it's self-imposed because you know I work for a vendor Pivotal and like the following highly favors us <laughs> right, right. which is like you should probably just homogenize as much as possible like you want to standardize on, on the exact same thing and people having the same stack and like and you know like use the same build pipeline use the same platform all the same frameworks because to your point right like in a large setting, the more variation you have, like, down in the stack, like, just like you said, the more hassle you're going to have and the more right. things to deal with. But isn't it more about the communication pathways between your developers and your operators? Like, for instance, if uh, for some reason a developer is unable to go forward and they need an operator to uh, respond to a ticket or a request to look into the infrastructure, doesn't that cause problems when they're not able to self-service? I think that... Um I mean, I think there's two dimensions of that. You know, sometimes the operator has experience that the developer, like, really needs, and so you're not, you're not going to get that through, through a ticket. Um, I think the challenge, and I hit on tickets a little bit during the talk, but I think the challenge with tickets is, you know, many have demonized the ticket, and, like, in some cases, there's still a need to track an audit request for work, so, like, it's not the ticket that's the issue, it's the engagement model that's the issue, which is putting a person behind a ticket and they have, like, zero additional context behind, like, 
you asked me to do a thing in a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've bubbled down to like ten drop down boxes because I get tired of people asking me to like the same things in different ways. I guess, I guess you know, like sort of technologically a difference between like a physical sticky note, a digital sticky note and some Kanban thing, and then like a ticket is not really that much. It right. just depends on what you do with this thing and although other than to be I don't know if fair is the right word, but to be descriptive, your ticket systems, if they're like five, ten years old, they can get a little crazy. Right. Yeah. They can. <laughs> like all the different fields and, and stuff, people but do, still. People do crazy things with Jira these days as well. Yeah, no doubt. All kinds of crazy workflows and, and who knows what. But, um, you know, Kenny, I think like one thing that is huge um, is kind of the alignment of product. So like you start moving teams to be more product focused and making both your dev and uh, infrastructure folks align to like customer outcomes uh, and business impact and being able to like push that forward is something that um, helps kind of with with the engagement model yeah um, obviously it's like super ideal to have that dev and ops folks um, sitting side by side and I think if you're building a platform team or another DevOps type team, like the cross-functional aspect of the experience of the different team members is huge, hugely important. Right. You definitely have a tried and true infrastructure person, someone that understands like networking and, uh, and servers and storage. You should have uh, somebody that really understands like the operating system. You should have somebody that really has a good uh, foundation in perhaps like middleware. Um, and then an application developer, like some somebody was asking me uh, after the talk, he, he said, um, well, certainly you don't put software developers uh, on this team if this is like coming out of infrastructure. And I was like, of course you do. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, if you if you don't have the diversity of experience, um, you, you create artificial blinders to, to some extent about what's possible when it comes to problem solving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so then... So, so to revisit something, I think the last time we, we well, talked on tape, as it were, it's weird I still say tape, but I don't know what else you would say, <laughs> on SD, but uh, um, like so to that end, you, you kind of made, maybe I'm reading into it, but an interesting distinction there, You're like if we, if we have developers working on like a service or a platform or an infrastructure thing, you would have operations people there working with them. Now, conversely, what if you had, like what's been your experience so far with like I've got a user face, a human facing, customer facing application, right? And I'm just building out whatever that application may be, and I'm not building like a service for other developers to use. Like, do you end up actually having operations staff on just like a regular apps team? And this is this is my ongoing like thing of like, is DevOps actually a real thing, right? Like, yeah, is, yeah. is the idea of it a real thing? Which I mean, I, I, I still think don't quite know. If you look at John and Paul's talk, like they kind of ask the question of like, how many people who would label themselves as like infrastructure folks have like made a change right. uh, to the code base, like ever? Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and the user-facing application, yeah. and like I think no, like pretty pretty much nobody. And, and then to interrupt you, right? Like the thing that, like, the way that I boil down this the salient thing for SRE think is. The different the thing about the major leap for SRE people is you have ops people who code, right? right? And so like you're putting dev in ops, but you don't necessarily like if I'm working on a um, let's pick something here. You you have an application that allows you to register and pay for a conference and optionally book one of the three hotels they have. 
And so, like, if you were the application team working on that, like, do you really have, like, an operations person with you? Or is it just all developers working on that? I think it comes down to self-service. Like, how much can you self-service to, I guess, deploy your application into production and keep it running? Yeah, I think there was definitely a time when you needed to have, like, that full cross-functional team for DevOps to, to really exist. But, you know, I think what we've seen is for the folks, the, the unicorns that do DevOps, like, there's always some semblance of structured platform, whether it's Borg at Google yeah. or, um, you know, a lot of the other dot-coms have some something, you know. It's not necessarily Cloud Foundry. In many cases, yeah. it's homegrown, but there's some level of abstraction where the developer basically says, like, here's my code, like, go run it. Right. Somehow. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's the thing I've kind of settled on is, one, like you said, you have operations people who are building services and stuff for others to use, to build on top of, right? Right. And, of course, you need operation expertise there because it's inherently operation stuff going on in there. Um, And then you have, you might have, you also have sort of pure ops people who, in this kind of way of thinking, they, their responsibility is, like, to automate things Totally, <laughs> right? Like, totally with the sense of a little footnote that says, like, I mean, if you can't do it, try it three more times and then maybe give up. But, like, so they need to automate things instead of um, with, with code or, you know, coding, coding it away. And then the third one is, like, what we were just talking about is, and then eventually you have, like, a collection of services that you've built up or customized or however you've acquired it. And because it's all self-service, like, the application people need to know, like, how the Internet works, and what that implies for how they do their coding. So they do need to have operational knowledge, but you don't necessarily just have the sysadmin sitting on the team with it, right? Like, it's, it's not quite quite like that at all. Yeah, I, I think, um, like, there's, va- there's value in having, like, some operational expertise on the dev team, if possible, but, you know, like you said, like, I think that's something that's much less common. Yeah. Um, and much harder to come by, and, and arguably with structured platforms like it's less important but you know even with structured platforms like folks struggle with like networking and making sure the right firewall rules are open yeah, yeah really yeah. understanding like how that how that all works um, and triaging and troubleshooting some of those things is very difficult sometimes yeah yeah well I think I think just as you you want your operations people to code the other side of that is you want your your developers to have operations knowledge and sense, right? Like, like yeah. you were saying. And I don't... I, but, but I don't know if it literally means, in practice, the, you know, the portmanteau of dev and ops on the same team. It's more just like having that... I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's... it's uh, I mean, I, I guess DevOps is kind of a community of practice, so it's not even yeah, really yeah. like a, we're doing DevOps or we're not doing DevOps. Like, DevOps in itself really came out of the creation of DevOps days, is my understanding of it. And so... You know the. I mean, it's really just a set of practices. It's not really about yeah, yeah, yeah. roles or titles, um, right? So I think that's where people get wrapped around the axle a, a little much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, at a minimum the dev teams need access to infrastructure expertise when yes. they run into those issues, um, and it's really important that that's like somewhat contextualized so does it mean that that infrastructure person sitting on the dev team 100% of the time maybe not but there's some way that that person gets 
an overall understanding of like what's going on. Whether yeah. that's through like ruthless standardization, they can make assumptions about stuff, or or so through some other mechanism. I think this comes back to self-service again, right? If you look at a developer, even if they have a platform, maybe it's not a great platform, but in order for them to proceed forward, they're going to need something like expertise, right? If they need expertise to be able to operate their app application, um, that's going to be a blocker for their self-service. So I think that if you look at yeah. it from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 